Welcome to Rockbridge, wherever you're watching from. I want to welcome everybody that's watching online and in our six locations. Also, just uh, this week, heard about, uh, obviously, you've got some folks in Ecuador, uh, Florida, and Ohio, and then, of course, people around the six physical locations. So if you're watching online in the comment area, you want to throw up where you're, uh, where you're from or uh, maybe which campus you're closest to, somebody will say hello to you. We're glad that you're with us, glad that you're with us at any of our six locations. Hey, coming out of Easter, we started this new series that God is a promise keeper. And the big promise he kept was that he would come back to life, come back from the dead and what's called the resurrection. And then we just said, because of the power and and the promise keeping, promise making ability of God, God's got a lot of promises that he offers us that he wants those promises to be the pathway and the guides for us in our lives. And so today we're going to talk about a, a very relevant conversation and God's promises in that area. And it's about guidance, or you might say, how do we make decisions? And here's the challenge with decisions, especially today. There's no other generation in history that has more options, more choices, and more paths. And we sort of think that's a good thing, but a lot of psychologists are saying that there is actually more indecision than ever because we're like just kind of, which way do I go? And we live with this fear of what if I miss out or, you know, you only live once and if things don't work out and the pressure to make the right decision. And so we have this kind of tension inside of of us about making decisions and how do we decide? How, how do we make decisions? And it's kind of this tension, this love-hate relationship because all of us would know this. There's potential in the decisions you make. There's potential for good. There's potential for bad. So there's pressure when you make decisions, especially the big ones, right? They're just, you and I feel this inherent pressure. We don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to mess it up. And yet probably 95, 99% of our day, we just make decisions in the spur of the moment. And those decisions, you know, can have some consequences as well. And then we look to God and we're like, God, help me decide. But then at the same time, we wrestle with God over control. So we don't want the pressure, but we want the control, and you can't have it both ways. And so there's just all this kind of tension things where sometimes we're like, hey, God, just tell me what to do. And then if God gets real clear with you, we're like, I don't know if I like that, God. Right? And so there's this wrestling match that we face with our decisions. So we're going to lean into a promise. It's, it's kind of my life verse, so it's something that I've been looking at, praying and reading and studying since I, uh, since I, as long as I can remember. I'm going to start with the promise. It just comes out of Proverbs chapter 3. Here's the, here's the promise. He will make your path straight. Some translations say he will direct your paths. So, I, you know, as a, as a young Christian, middle school, high school, you know, I'm like, hey, man, I want to make good decisions. I, I, I want to do God's will, all those kind of things. I need God's help in, in this decision, in this path, in this endeavor. I, I, for whatever reason, that just grabbed me. And I was like, God, I want to lean into that because I would love for God to make my path straight. And so there's a promise there that God's going to do that, that God will, wants to guide us, God wants to help us, God's involved, God's interested, God's engaged in our decision-making. Now, here's the challenge, though, okay? When, it, you, you, when God makes a promise, there's also conditions to, in order to reap the harvest or reap the blessing of the promise. There's conditions that, play into, that come to play. And so the first part of Proverbs 3 is God spelling out some of those conditions. So we'll start from the beginning, verse 1. It's kind of like a father talking to his son is the language in which it's written. But here we go. My son, don't forget my teaching, 
but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. This is a Jewish concept from a Hebrew word called shalom, which is gen- the flourishing of, of humanity, the flourishing of human, the human race. So the first thing he says, hey, your heart's got to be set right, and, and then I, you know, I will make your path straight, and there's going to be favor, full days, full life, many days, and well-being. And it, the whole passage, the whole four verses alternate. A verse on your heart and being in covenant and being in communion with God. And then a verse on, hey, from that will come a straight path or come, come, from that will come blessing. Continues. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. This is the language of relationship with God. This is the language of covenant. This is the language of I'm in fellowship with God. So never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then you will find favor and high regard with God and with people. And now this is where it gets a little challenging because when we think of how to make a good decision, we think of, hey, give me three steps, teach me how you know, I can hear the voice of God and God's gonna speak to me exactly like he spoke to Moses and there's, you know, there's gonna be a bush or something that's gonna catch fire and that's what I'm gonna do. Or, or, or we just sort of assume that, hey, God wants what I want so we don't even check with God But what this verse does, or this series of verses do for us, is they put the attention on our heart. So it says, hey, we should not make decisions without first paying attention to our heart. So so here's what this would be like. Okay, let's keep it real. Hey, we're about to make a major move. Where should we move? How do I hear from God? God, let's start with your heart. No, 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 no. Let's start with the real estate market. Let's start with the economy where we're going. Let's start with the best neighbor. No, let's start with your heart. Hey, some of, I know we're in the season of graduation, and so we've got young people thinking about careers and colleges and which path to take. And, and, and hopefully some of you are leaning into God and saying, God, would you make my path straight? Which college, which town, which career? Let's start with your heart. And, and, and that, that almost sounds like, oh, no, why do I need to start with my heart? It's, tell me what to do. Tell me where to go. Tell me how to discern or tell me how to make this decision. Think about marriage. Is he the one? Let's start with your heart. Let's start with his heart too, right? But we, that doesn't sound right. Doesn't, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't even feel practical. That doesn't even feel helpful. Hey, we're going to make a major purchase or we're thinking about making a major purchase, purchase of a car, purchase of property. Let's start with your heart. No, 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 no. And you see why a lot of people are tempted to skip out on God. But what he's asking us to do through the word of God, what he's asking us to do is prioritize who we are before we do or to prioritize why before what. That, that's what he's asking us to do. Let's look first and foremost at what's going on inside of us. Let's look at who we are. Are we in covenant? Are we in relationship? Is our heart aligned with the revealed word of God, with the revealed will of God that's found in the word of God and all those kind of things? And and honestly, who wants to go through that? I mean, I just want to get out my pad and pencil and put a plus on one side, draw a line down the middle, put a negative on the other side and list all the pros and cons and go with it and say, God, would you bless the side that has more pluses on it? I mean, that's kind of what we want to do, or I want to go with my gut. I want to go with what I want in the moment. You know, I see it, I want it, God, help me get it. You know, and God's like, no, no, that's not the way it works. Let's start with our heart. Let's start with who we are. Let's start with our motives. Let's start with what's going on inside of us, you know? And so, all of us have decisions to make. 
all of us are people who, who can be guided by God or God wants to make your path straight. And so the first big question before what I do comes to play or what should I do, which path should I take, is really this question. What is my functional identity? So when I ask you, when you ask, when God asks, when the word of God says, hey, what's going on in your heart? He's, he's, he's really asking, there's an identity that you and I function out of. And our decisions flow from that identity. Our wants flow from that identity. Our, our values oftentimes flow from that identity. So if I said, who are you? You know, there, there would be like a biblical answer that some of us might get. But I'm saying, hey, when you go out the door here and you make decisions about who to hang out with and what, how you spend your money and, and you make decisions about how you spend your time and the big decisions, the small decisions, it's flowing from who you function as as a human being. And, and for most of us, our functional identity is in one of three large categories. What we do, what we have, and what other people say about us. What we do, what we have, and what other people say about us. And, and this is where, if we're not careful about what God's doing, <clears throat> and this is where we're not careful, if we're not careful about understanding the word of God and the vision of God and the glory of God, Bible verses begin to malfunction on us. So I, I told you Proverbs 3, and it's 5 and 6, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are sort of my, my life verses, right? And so that verse, he will direct your paths or he will make your path straight. When I used to go to that verse and read it and pray it over my life, here's what I thought making my path straight meant. God, you're going to help me do what I do with excellence or do what I do better, or succeed in what I do, because I, like most men, I am what I do, right? At least that's the lie I believed, all right? Or, or you know, God, make my path straight so I can have what I need to have to be happier or to be better or to do what I need to do better, right? And so I'm taking the Word of God and twisting it, distorting it to feed my functional identity, See how that works? See how that works? So uh, let's, let's do it again. God, I'm praying this prayer. Lord, make my path straight. Direct my paths. So what others say about me will be positive. So others will like me. So see what I've done, right? I've taken truth, God's truth, and twisted it to feed or nurture my functional identity. And that's the wrong way to make a decision. That's why God wants to start with the heart. See, think of it this way. I examine the prayers you pray. Examine the prayers you pray and the pressures you feel. And the prayers you pray and the pressures you feel, trace them down and they go to your functional identity. What we do, what we have, and or what others say about us. So when we make a decision, and the reason we stress over these decisions and stress over the, these, the, the, the choices and the paths we take is because we feel this pressure to uphold or nurture or feed our functional identity, what, what, what we do, what we have, and what other people say about us. And then we go to God and like, hey, God, direct my paths and God help me because we believe something. We believe another lie. My decisions determine who I am. My decisions determine who I am. 
My decisions are the determining factor uh, of who I am. And so again, so that's why we feel such stress about college or career or which car, or which neighborhood or which career or which job. We feel all this stress. And, and then when you make a bad decision, what do you live with? You live with regret. You feel like you've lost something. You feel like you've messed something up so bad you can never get it back. You feel undone. You feel confused or you feel helpless or you even begin to feel doubtful of God because, God, I prayed. I said, direct my path. I said, God, help me do what I do you know, better or help me succeed in what I do. And when that doesn't happen, you're like, God, did you not keep your promise? Or God, direct my path and direct my path, meaning I want to have the American dream. And if you're not living the American dream and you prayed that God, direct my past and God help me get what then is is God not keeping his promise because but we've twisted the word of God to feed our functional identity and and I want to say this to everybody here and you need to write it down tattoo it somewhere if you're into that kind of thing right we are not meant to function from a functional identity we function from a given identity given by whom our creator and our redeemer. Adam and Eve, male and female, I have created them and he blessed them. Here's our given identity in Christ. First Peter says it better than I can. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So see this, God did something. God chose, God called us, God made us, God spoke this over us. And even it gets even better about this functional identity. It goes, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so now suddenly our identity is centered not in what I do, not in what I have, not in what others say about me. My identity is, set, is centered in what God has done, what God has given me, and what God says about me. That is a definition of a free human being. That when I can make decisions based on this, based on what God has done, what God has given me, and what God has said about me, that is where I'm supposed to function from that place and make decisions from that place. So he describes God's people, and there's probably there's four descriptors I just pulled out of that text in 1 Peter. We're sinners. We need mercy. We need grace. That that should produce some humility. We're recipients or receivers of mercy. We're receivers of grace. God acted on on our behalf. That's the cross. That's uh, dying in our place, dying instead of us. We become a community of distinction. Notice those are all corporate, plural uh, statements. You're a holy people. You're uh, a holy priesthood. You're royalty. You're uh, a holy nation. So all of that is a community of distinction, meaning we're supposed to be distinct. And he's talking about the church. Church, plural, that, that my me is tied up in our collective we as the people of God. And then we're givers of glory or proclaimers of praise. And so when we make decisions, we have to make decisions with these four things in view. 
These four things in view, that I'm a sinner, that I am my own worst enemy, that I am one decision away from stupid, that I have a heart that needs help, that I have a heart that needs to be remade and and given to me by God, that I I get what I do not deserve, and, and, and God is a giver of what we do not deserve, that I make decisions reflective of a community that I'm a part of, and that the ultimate purpose of my existence is to give God glory or to proclaim his praises. That's it. And, and so that becomes the identity, the direction that God is taking my life. So once I know what God is trying to do with me and God's trying to make me who he has declared me already to be, I'm in the process of becoming. I'm in the process of becoming someone. I'm in the process of being developed, being trained, being equipped. Once I see that direction for God, that for my life, for my soul, for my existence, then all my decisions get subordinated to that direction. All my decisions get subordinated to this, that I am trying to increasingly function, make choices, choose paths in light of what he has done for me, what he has given me, and what he declares or speaks or says about me. That I am, we are, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his possession. Once I was not that, once I lived out of I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what they say about me, right? But now I'm God's person, I'm God's people. Once I hadn't received mercy, now I have received mercy. So we can boil it down to like this. If you're a Christ follower, been in church, you've heard this question, hey, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? The only place it really explicitly in Scripture spells it out is this, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is God's will, your sanctification. Sanctification is, is a theological word. It's kind of a weird word for us. We don't say that a lot. Sanctification is just the process of, who, of us becoming something. It's the process of us becoming like Jesus Christ. So what's God's will for my life? You become like Christ. What's God's will for the church? You become like Christ. What's God's will for, you know, where I go to college? Are you becoming more like Christ? I mean, that, that's really as black and white as we can make it. And so that's part of our becoming, that God is more interested. Let me say it this way. God is more interested or engaged in who you're becoming initially than what you're doing. But we think, well, what I'm doing factors into who I'm becoming. And God's like, no, no, first it's who we're becoming. And then I want your decisions to flow from that spot. So, So here's a way to say this. We need to become more committed to what I'll call our progressive. It doesn't happen instantaneously. We're not like Christ just like that. It takes some time, takes some effort, takes some work. We're more committed to our progressive sanctification than the decision we're making. Say that again. I'm more committed to what God is doing in shaping me and forming me and making me like Christ, which is the this theological word for that or term for that is progressive sanctification. I'm more committed to that than the decision I'm making. Now, let me, let me give, make it practical, okay? <clears throat> so two people, let's say, you know, they decide, they're deciding to get married, okay? Here, here, they're deciding to get married. So the decision is we're, gonna, we're about to get married. Or we're going to get married. We're gonna get, we're gonna do, and, and they're going to stand in front of somebody and do the vows and death does us part. All right? Three years later, 
They've, they've fallen on hard times. They don't like each other very much. And now they're going to get a divorce. Why did they get a divorce? Because the decision they made three years prior was the bad decision? No. I'm going to tell you why they didn't get a divorce. They weren't committed to their sanctification. Two people committed to becoming Christ-like will never get divorced. Ever. Ever. Because when you're becoming Christ-like, your capacity to forgive people goes up. Your capacity to treat people with kindness goes up. Your understanding of the sacredness of marriage and the value of marriage goes up. And your commitment to have a true marriage till death does you, does you part, does, goes up. Period. See how that works? Hey, where should I live? Where should I live? Sweating the decision. Here's what I would say. Hey, wherever you go, live like Christ. Live like Christ. I heard uh, John Maxwell describe this, and he just picked a generic name. We'll choose the name Jim, okay? Jim has a problem with everybody he meets and every place he goes. So everybody he meets eventually has a problem, and he forgets about them, moves on from them. The relationship ends, right? Every place he goes, Jim's got a problem. What's the common denominator in that situation? Jim. Jim needs to work on Jim, right? So the point is, if I, my heart, if I am not valuing my sanctification, it doesn't really matter what decision I make. Eventually, I'm going to mess up the relationship, the place, the path, or something. And so this is God's will for you. Your sanctification. Think about it. 90, 95% of your decisions are instantaneous, impulsive. Hey, where do you want to eat? Red Lobster, Outback, you know, Crystal, wherever, right? What's more important than that decision? Who you are in the car on the way to get there and how you act while you're there, right? And your goals in that are to be like Christ. When you make a bad decision, think about the last dumb decision you ever made, okay? Some of us a couple minutes ago, some of you might, might have been a week ago. But think about it. What, 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 even our language, what do we say? What was I thinking? I was acting maybe outside of the wrong identity. I, I can't believe I fell for that. I can't believe I got wrapped up into that. When your language is honest and says, hey, look, what happened is, is in the moment that decision seemed cool or sexy or pleasurable or awesome or you know, everybody else was doing it or, man, it would make it whatever, and, and you forgot about this. And, and then you showed up and the decision, you had that regret. But here's the challenge. Here's the awesome part. Here's the awesome part. When you put sanctification ahead of decision, here's the incredible bit, this part about that. Okay? Because God is committed to making you and I look like, be like Christ. So here, here's the awesome part. When I make a bad decision, when I make a bad decision, it no longer has to define me. It can refine me. If, if you don't have Christ in your life, when you make a bad decision, it defines you. It defines you. When Christ is in your life, it refines you because you just come back and get recommitted to your sanctification. You come back and say, God, I, I know I messed up. But thank goodness, your mercy is greater than my mess up. And, and, and so, and then God takes a bad decision and he says, all right, let's come back. And so how can we learn from this so you can become more like Christ? 
is so powerful, so beautiful, so amazing. So let's say this a couple of ways so we can make sure we understand it. If we are becoming the right who, God will help us choose the right do. Or he'll help us do our do the right way. It's a little tongue twister. But if we're becoming the right who, God is going to help us choose the right do. Or he's going to help us do our do the right way. Some of us, you know, you don't need to change jobs. Yeah, but everybody there, you don't need to change jobs. You just need to be more Christ-like in your job. Some of you might need to change jobs. But your number one commitment is to be like Christ. Some of you, some of you are, uh, you're on the brink of breaking up. You're on the brink of a marriage disaster. What do I do? What do I do? Become more like Christ. That's it. Simple but hard, right? Say it, again, say it another way. If we are driven by the right why, remember the right why is givers of glory. That's why we exist. That's why we've been redeemed. Then God will direct us to the right what? God will direct us to the right what? All right, so that's the, that's the foundation we're laying. And now let's jump on into this promise that we have. Go into Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. He says this because he knows what? First part of that identity, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of grace. I'm in need of mercy, right? I never graduate from my need of grace. I never graduate from my need of God. My heart was made, my heart was made not to be followed. My heart was made to follow. So, so don't listen to Dr. Phil or Oprah. Hey, just follow your heart. Do what seems right to you. Survey says, eh, it's awful advice. Your heart was made to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and to say, I'm following you. I'm following you. Because God's promise of guidance is contingent upon our dependence upon him. It's contingent upon our dependence upon him. So we're moving from this identity that God has given us. And we're moving to make decisions in light of who we are in Christ and who we are in, in, in his family and who we are for as givers of his glory, right? And then we get to the promise. In all your ways, know him. In all your ways, know him. In all your ways, reflect the relationship you have with him. Goes back to Proverbs 3, verses 1, through two, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Remember it alternated? Here's the covenant. Here's the blessings of the covenant. Here's the covenant. Here's the blessings of the covenant. The covenant is my relationship with God, bought and paid for by the blood of Christ, right? Royal nation, holy priesthood, all those things he says about us, all those things he gives us, all those things he speaks about us. That's covenant. So on all your ways, know him. And then here's the blessing. He will make your path straight. Where I go, what I do flows out of who I am in Christ. Then he kind of repeats the same thing in seven and eight, kind of repeats the same thing. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes, sinner, humility, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There's some things now because of who you are in Christ, there's certain things that suddenly go off the table. There's certain options that are no longer under consideration. And he says, this will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Again, covenant, here's the relationship, here's who I am, blessing, healing for your body, strengthening for your bones. So if the who and why are right, then look at this. Suddenly, almost whatever we do has potential for God's glory. And now we're opening up a whole new way of freedom. 
that instead of having to be stressed about decisions, decisions become opportunities to show who I am, to live out who I am, to reflect who I am. Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. Because that's part of who we are, right? We're proclaimers of, givers of glory to God. That's why he called us out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. That's why he gave us an identity and says, live from this spot, make decisions from this spot. And then whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. All right, so let's get some handlebars to this. Handlebars to this, okay? Number one, certain options need no consideration. Certain options need no consideration. The proverb writer says it this way, turn away from evil. There are certain things in our lives that just do not fit or are not helpful to our sanctification. Now, we have to be careful here because we all have an inner salesperson and an inner attorney. And that inner salesperson or inner attorney is really good at talking us in to doing compromising things or dumb things or sinful things, whatever adjective you want to use. Things that are not in alignment with who God is, who God has made me, and where God is taking me. Just not in alignment. So we got to take those things off the table. And it would be helpful if you and I learn how to recognize that inner salesperson that tries to convince us to do things that we know should no longer be options for people who have been redeemed and are being sanctified by Christ. So, so the inner salesperson, you know what it sounds like, right? You know when you listen to a public figure make an explanation for doing something stupid. And you're like, oh, there they go again. And it's a sports figure, actor, movie star, uh, politician. And you, you listen to them, I give the interview, and you're like, God, that person's an idiot. They're just saying publicly what you think privately. That's your inner salesperson trying to, you do, trying, for you, trying to get you to consider things that should no longer be on the table. No longer be on the table. I mean, just go to the news. Just go to the news and, and like read about, like I was reading just this afternoon, <clears throat> okay, about football player uh, Aaron Donald, one of the great defensive tackles. He's been charged with battery. Whether he's guilty or not, I have no idea. But here's what happened. He was at a bar at 3 a.m. I'm just going to tell you something. I don't know of anything good that happens at a bar at 3 a.m. There just needs to be certain things that are just, that this is not a consideration based on who I am and where I'm going. All right? So certain things just come off the table. Don't need, any, don't need to pray about it. Don't need to call a committee meeting. Certain things are no longer on the table. Second thing, because of who we are in Christ, focus on what I'll define as pivotal decisions more than the big decisions. Pivotal decisions more than the big, big decisions. Who to marry, what kind of car to buy, what kind of house to have, pivotal career decisions, career changes, all those kind of things. Big decisions. This is the stuff that we feel the pressure of those things, right? We feel the pressure. Pivotal decisions are decisions that set the direction for my life for that day, for that moment. Pivotal decisions, I wrote down some adjectives. Pivotal decisions ground me in my functional identity, ground me in my identity as that holy nation, as that child of God. Pivotal decisions focus my ambitions and my attitude upward, not inward. Pivotal decisions give me joy beyond my day. Pivotal decisions involve obeying all I know right now. So pivotal decisions are biologically pivotal decisions are I got to eat and I got to sleep and I got to drink, right? 
That, that, those are biological pivotal decisions. But you and I are called to more than just survival and existence. So pivotal decisions for us are those things that just our day sort of hinges on or pivots upon whether we consistently make those kind of decisions. That's pivotal decisions. And here's the beautiful thing, okay? Consistent pivotal decisions fuel wise God-honoring God big decisions and moments. Consistent pivotal decisions fuel wise God-honoring big decisions and moments. Here's like a homework assignment, all right? And I'm going to give you some help. I'll use, my, I'll use an example in my life. What would be those three or four or five pivotal decisions that you generally need to make about every day or every week that your day, your life, your attitude hinges upon those? I was thinking about this before, before preaching, and I think there's four pivotal decisions that God has led me to make over the years, all right? Here's what they are, and, and, and I can't take any credit for any of these, okay? The first one is to have a daily time with God, to have a daily quiet time with God. The second one for me is to get up early. The third one for me is that I have to choose my attitude. I cannot let the news, I cannot let my kids, I cannot let my day, my time of, time of day I have choose my attitude. I am in charge of my attitude. I didn't make that up. I got that at the Naval Academy. I was listening to a POW speak who was the most positive human being I've ever heard talk. He gave the whole speech in his garb that he was held captive in in North Vietnam, and he never left a six-by-foot cell. He lost his marriage during that time. He lost six years of his life, and he was tortured, and he had the greatest attitude I've ever heard. And I was like, my goodness, attitude is something I can control. So that's the third pivotal decision. And the fourth pivotal decision for me, and, and this is not for everybody, but the fourth pivotal decision for me was to say, I will never drink alcohol. Okay. Now that doesn't have to be yours. And I'm and not judging anybody that drinks alcohol, but, but it taught me that to move forward with God, I've got to be willing to say some, to say no to some things, even some things that I can't give you a chapter and verse that are necessarily wrong. Okay. Now, I wish I'd said some no to some more things, but here's what I've learned, okay? Here, here's what I've learned about those four things, okay? If those things are not flowing consistently in my life, something's going to be, I'll get through half my day, and I'm like, why am I in a bad mood today? Why have I done? You didn't have your quiet time. You didn't have time with God today. You let someone else set your attitude for you on the way to school or on the you know, first email you read. Somebody else gave you, gave them your attitude switch. You know, the decision to start Rock Ridge Community Church, one of the biggest decisions I've ever made, it wasn't my decision, it was God's decision, but you know what happened? I got up early and I was spending time with God. <laughs> and I just look back at my life, and that's a pivotal decision. So I, I would just encourage you, hey, what are those three or four decisions that when you do those decisions consistently, they just put you on a path to being who God called, created, and died for you to be? Third final handlebar, get his vision and keep refining your part in it. Get God's vision. Where is God taking history? Where is God taking history? There's three words you got to know. Kingdom, cross, and disciple. You are part of the kingdom of God. And you became part of the kingdom of God through a bloody cross that becomes paradigmatic for how we live our lives. We deny ourselves. We are willing to sacrifice to do good deeds and do, in, do acts of love. And we're disciples. We're students. We're learning as we go. So keep, get, get his vision and keep refining your part of it because here's what happens, okay? As sanctification progresses, you and I get more and more like Christ and grow closer to Christ, his vision becomes clearer, options become fewer, and decisions get easier. 
As sanctification progresses, his vision becomes clearer, what he's trying to do in the world, what he's trying to do in me and through me. Options then become fewer. I just can't do that. Nothing wrong with it. I, that's just not me. That's just not where God's got. That's just not who I am. And decisions get easier. I know what I say yes to. I know what I say no to. I know what I say yes to. I know what I say no to. Because at the end of the day, I, I want to just give you one question. And you can lay this question over any path, any decision. It, it is, it's, 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 it's a question that works on you going into the store, you going to the restaurant, or my goodness, which college do I go to? Which career path? Who do I marry? This is the question. Here it is. It comes, it comes from what we've been talking about. I'll show it to you in scripture. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. God's sanctifying you to become like him. As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on, and here's some characteristics of people who are like Jesus, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, okay? So, so here's the question, all right? And when this question is dominant in our souls, in our minds, in our decision-making process, then you can rest in the promise, he will make my path straight. Here's the question. How will I represent Christ today in this how will I represent Christ in this place? How will I represent Christ in my marriage? How will I represent Christ in this expenditure of money? How will I represent Christ in this interaction with my waitress? How will I represent Christ? So if you're debating, you know, which college to go to, if you're not going to do that, it does not matter which college you go to. If you're debating, I don't know if I should marry, I don't know. If you're not ready to do that in marriage, in a cross-shaped, sacrificial relationship with another human being, you're not ready to get married. You get your first job. Hey, I prayed about the job and I got the job. If you're not ready to take your paycheck and represent Christ with it, we've missed it. But here's the amazing thing, okay? God has taken people like you and me, people in darkness, people in need of mercy, and he has called us out. And he has given his mercy and he's made us a people. His people. It says for his own possession. When that grabs your heart, mind, and soul, that's the greatest way to live. That's the greatest way to go about your day. That's the greatest way to make your decisions because he's going to make your path straight. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much because your first love does. Lord, let us pause and let's worship you in our being right now. Let's worship you with our minds and thank you for mercy. Thank you for giving us an identity. Thank you, God. Lord, our highest motivation and our greatest ambition is to represent you correctly, passionately, and consistently. Wherever we go, whatever we do, and whoever we're with. Lord, I pray that this church could become more like Jesus Christ to the world. It's a world of darkness. It's a world that needs mercy. It's a world that needs Jesus. May the world see Jesus in us as we make decisions and you make our path straight. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.